there's a sense of needing to talk about this. I'm in a place where dying and death is rather well known in a retirement community. But the interesting thing to me is how difficult and how seldom do we who live here, including me, talk about my death. I'm Deborah Jarvis, and you're listening to The Final Say, conversations with people facing death. This is the podcast where you can get comfortable talking about death and learn some things about life from people who are dying. In this episode, we'll explore being present and at the same time realizing that this moment may be one that someday you'll replay over and over in your mind. We'll also talk about tears, tears of sorrow, and tears of joy. And we'll ask the question, exactly what is a crying rag, and does everyone need one? Today, I'm visiting Bob and his wife Helen at their apartment in a retirement community in downtown Seattle. I've known Bob for over 20 years, and like me, he's an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, the UCC, but he's also a good friend. Hello. We're a tiny bit early. Hi, Helen. Hello. Bobster. Hi. You're here. You're here, too. Can I give you a hug? And you're Deborah. I want to give you a hug. Oh, oh I'll give old, you a hug. You're my old friend. Oh, my friend. You're my friend. It's so good to see you again. Bob is thinner than I've ever known him. He's sitting in a recliner in the living room, and next to him on one of those TV trays is a plate of saltines, a box of tissues, and one of those big days of the week pill boxes. How's it going? Oh, I need to tell you I'm kind of weak. Are you? Kind of slow. Okay. I don't know whether it's just early morning hour at 10 o'clock or not. Does this feel early to you? No, this is a great time, but I just, I find any possible reason I can think of other than the real one. Yeah. And the real reason Bob feels weak is because he has lymphoma. It's amazing. He's managed to beat it back for about 12 years now, but it's catching up to him. It has caught up to him, and he's in hospice now. How old are you, Bob? 91. 91? 91. Holy cow. Okay. Holy cow. I was off by like 20-something years. No. I want to think he's in his 70s. No, thank you. (laughs) Helen gets a big laugh over there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I married an older woman. We get along fine. (laughs) Uh, well, and it seems like you're both kind of living your lives right now. Yeah. I mean, I would always say to my hospice patients that you're living, you're living, you're living, you're living until that moment when you exhale and you don't inhale. Yeah. It's all living. Yeah. It's Live just, until you die. Yeah. Now, I'm, I think that's a struggle because I'm, I'm struggling right now, see, with my weakness. Mm-hmm. This is not fun. It's very hard to realize that the things that I used to do, I'm passing on to someone else, and particularly to Helen. That's what you do when you're this age and you're not very healthy. 
Bob is used to being active. He's the kind of person that could make everybody in the room break out in laughter. You know, I've heard him speak, and he would have people on the edge of their seats. And it just seemed like no matter what he was doing, he always brought so much energy to it. But now he mostly just moves between his recliner and his bed. How has this been for you, my coming over here and talking to you about This has been very uh, meaningful to me. I appreciate your doing that. I'm not sure you realize how much I think about it between our conversations. Thinking. That's something Bob can do. It's what I call an inside job. It forces you to look inward about what's going on and pay attention to some stuff that you you did off and on through the years and uh, you, you tend to live in memories. So if anybody is 40 or 50 years old, boy, this is a good time to get some good memories going. Do some things that you're gonna wanna look back on and uh, enjoy. And that's part of what I spend a lot of time doing. I've seen this a lot. In their final days, people spend a lot of time looking back at their lives. And sometimes that means regrets. I mean, I've sat with people who would just spend the day cataloging the things they should have said or they should have done, which can be super heartbreaking. But that's not Bob's story. Bob is spending his days thinking of times where he felt great love. And one of those times was back in the 1980s when his son Randy was a teenager. Bob was driving him to work. I picked him up and uh, drove downtown to a movie theater where he was uh, on staff. And uh, I was uh, driving 65 miles an hour going south. I can relive that just as clear as possible. And he asked me, Dad, what would you say if I told you I was gay? And there was a big lull and sort of a delayed response. It was a total blank. There, there was a lot of silence. There was just a lot of silence. And then I said, I, you're my son, I love you. Well, I saw his tears. I just joined. <laughs> and then, um, see, every time I tell this, I cry. And it's a crying of, of joy. That's what it is. I mean, I'm just reminded of uh, the, the joy that that meant that he trusted me to, to tell me. And I was the first one in the family he told. So this is my crying rag. <laughs> this is this is an old washcloth, an old washcloth, but it's very soft and cozy, and I cry a lot <laughs> about, about all kinds of things, both both sad and happy. That's who I am. That's great, and it looks very absorbent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud of this crying rag. <laughs> Bob has always been an emotional guy. 
I I know that because we both go to University Congregational Church in Seattle, and sometimes after a really good sermon, I'd see him wiping his eyes. But I'd never heard the story about his son, Randy. And I know that this must have been really difficult for Randy, especially back in the 1980s. I would say I didn't know any gays or lesbians. And then I quickly discovered, wait a minute, there's people that you know very well. They just haven't told you they're gay or lesbian. And you're just ignorant. It's just sticking my head in the sand. And then all of a sudden I discovered the biggest enemy of gays and lesbians has been the Christian church. And I was a part of the Christian church. And I thought, oh, I want to help. I want to help do something about it. So that's what got me in the PFLAG. Tell us again what PFLAG stands for. Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. That was a really gratifying time in your life. It was. It was very... I can tell. Very exciting, challenging. And uh, I felt like we were right on the front line. Right on the front line. That was early on and there was a lot to be done. And my life has been better and richer for it. So uh, this this was a contribution to me. Made me more humane. Made me more like a human being. Maybe more real. Wow. Made me more Christian, religious, spiritual. A friend of mine who works here, Melissa, we pass you know, little thoughts of the day to be back and forth to each other. And one of her that she gave me recently was, the meaning of life is to find the gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Whoever came up with that? Some of the uh, ex experiences of my life where I've been with people who were all giving their gifts away and making the world better. I was wanting to be part of something bigger and more important. And uh, here was it was right there, right there in my own family. Family comes up a lot for Bob, especially now because he's thinking a lot about leaving them. I got to get my crying towel out here. <laughs> uh, when someone dies, now the person who dies loses themselves as well as their family. That's a double whammy. So I'm losing me. Well, let me ask you about that. So what are your beliefs on what happens after death? I mean, are you sure oh, that I, you're losing you? Or I mean, what do you what do you believe about that? Uh, over my period of my lifetime, I've probably had uh, a half a dozen different beliefs. So you'd, you'd get a different answer in different periods of my life. I think it's part of the comfort for me to leave it as a mystery. That's, that's to me, a comfort. And uh, part of the excitement will be to find that out. I, I, my big answer is be ready for a surprise. What would bring you comfort or what brings you comfort now? What brings me comfort in dying is that it won't be painful. I've had people tell me there's uh, ways to make it not painful. 
because that's a fear. I'm also comforted by knowing that Helen and my family know I love them and that they love me. One day, Helen and I were talking and she just said, I'm going to plan to meet you in the mystery of the great beyond. And my mouth just dropped open. I thought, Helen, where did you get that? I find that great comfort. I'm not, I'm not saying it's definite. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I'm not saying it's an answer. It has an amazing power of affection. Dying can be a lonely experience. It's similar to giving birth. You know, you can have people all around you, but ultimately, you alone are doing the work. Bob and Helen can make promises to meet in the mystery of the great beyond, but for now, Bob will be heading there alone. What strikes me is how at peace he seems with it all. And he can trace the reason he feels at peace now back to a single moment from decades ago. In 1982, Helen and I went to Europe that uh, taught me uh, a lot about my place on Earth. And it was in the island of Iona, and we ended up on top of this mountain. It was just a stunning, beautiful day. Blue sky, quiet. We could see the water all around the island. There was a slight breeze, as I remember. There were cattle and sheep in the field. It's a very pastoral scene. I looked around and I just was overwhelmed and overcome by, I'm just standing on one little part of the earth and it's inhabited by people all around. And we're part of each other. And uh, we're part of all this creation. Well, I've carried that around with me ever since. And uh, it nurtures me now. It nurtures me to face dying. That helps me when I'm uh, confronted with the uh, loneliness of this experience of being alone and being unknown. So it helps me realize that this has been going on for millions of years. And I'm, I'm part of that creation now. But it also has a, a sort of a cutting edge to it because it, it means I have to also say goodbye. And we all join the stuff of the universe and there we are. And that's comforting as well as challenging. What's the challenging part? Well, I don't want to say goodbye. Uh, that's that's the hard part. It's it's an existential reality that there is a goodbye. There's no way out of that. That's what makes it existential. That's what makes it sacred to me. Bob doesn't want to say goodbye, but he will. Or maybe by the time you're hearing this, he could be gone. But for now, he's filling his days with family 
and friends, and also a lot of poetry. I read this poem by Mary Oliver. She's such a poet and such a blessing, but she's a tough woman. Now, I don't know a lot about her, but I, I've gathered that people think she's really hot stuff. <laughs> and uh, I've learned that she's hot stuff. So, this is a poem called When Death Comes by Mary Oliver. When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step If there was one poem in the world that I could pick for Bob to read, it would be this one. It so perfectly captures what I think all of us want to feel at the end of our lives, that we didn't sit it out, but we're out there moving to the music and doing our own unique dance. I want to say all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom, taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Isn't that a fabulous poem? Yes. And uh, it helped me because not only am I was struggling with uh, all the uncertainty and uh, unknown, but also with all the blessings mm-hmm. and uh, all the good things that are part of being alive so it means i'm still living (laughs) right i'm still living and while i'm uh still living i'm alive and uh over the weekend i wrote a response i wrote my poem i want to hear your fabulous poem now her poem when death comes inspired me So this is my response to Mary Oliver, and thank you, Mary. I want to be ready for my final pilgrimage. And knowing I have left word with all my loved ones, I love you. In my heart, I want to know the peace of being forgiven and forgiving. 
I will remember the joys, but will have shared my tears of grief, letting go and saying goodbye. When all is over, I want to be ready to be surprised at what next? Surprised by God, gods, or nothing, or mysteries I never even thought of. Mostly, I want to feel the peace of the final breath of my meditation and end with a thank you. Here's my final say for today. Sharing our joy is easy. Sharing our grief is hard because then we're vulnerable. But that is what makes us fully human. That is what connects us. That is what ultimately heals us. And nothing can make us feel more vulnerable than talking about our own death or listening to someone talk about theirs. But what a gift to both of us. I don't know what happens when you die like Bob. I want to be ready to be surprised at what next. And also like Bob, I think everyone needs a crying towel. Something soft and absorbent. I want to end with a thank you like he did. So... Thank you for listening. I'm Deborah Jarvis, and this is The Final Say.